This is Piecing It All Together. I'm Randy Woodley. I'm Bo Sanders. We're piecing it all together with you. Randy, it has been a little bit since we recorded, and here we are in Portland, Oregon on a pretty wintry day. Yeah, we were actually expected to get some snow. Yeah. Uh, my daughter up near Seattle, they had I think, yeah, four or six inches. I saw of snow. that. Yeah. It's amazing how that line that comes off the Pacific, um, depending on where it is, really dictates where the snow falls. You've had an eventful month. You've been traveling a little bit. And yeah, and, and you know, as we talk about the weather, I'm sure those poor folks back east are like, "Oh, I'm really, yeah. really feel bad for you." You know, I mean, we're not going to get any sympathy. Yeah, like 40, <laughs> forty below and sixty below with wind chill. Yeah, the, the polar vortex was fascinating, but and then it was followed up by this whiplash thing where there's this warm air pulling through. Right. Man, we have some wild weather these days. It's crazy. Our, our, well, and that's because we have crazy climate. Yeah, right? we have wild weather yeah. because we have crazy, crazy climate. Yeah. Um, some folks, um, uh, some people actually in high offices in the land can't quite get the uh, understand the difference between climate and weather. They think. If it's cold weather, then global warming is a hoax. I've heard about this. Yeah, yeah. you heard about that person? I did. I did. Okay. The one who brought a snowball into Congress? Yeah. Or maybe, maybe a different one. Yeah, yeah, I'm thinking about the higher up. Oh, higher up. Yes, yes, yes. So how was your trip back east? Uh, well, if you call the Rocky Mountains back east. Um, east of here, I guess, yeah. yeah. So um, it was, uh, we call it our trip from hell. Oh no! Yeah, um, it was expensive. It was disappointing. It was um, necessary, um, and it, it was uh, weather-wise. It was like five degrees the whole time, oh, and my. and then the day we left, we got twenty miles into a snowstorm in the mountains and had to turn around and get a hotel and and go back. And so. Yeah, it was everything, and then we were all sick as well. Oh, my gosh. So uh, we, we were in a truck together, and we kept passing it around the five of us. And and, and then I, I was sick for actually the last three weeks. Yeah. I was sick, coughing my head off, and, and I'm just now at about like 92%. So I'm, Man. I'm feeling a lot better than I was. And uh, But, uh, yeah, it, it was pretty rough, so... Um, we had a wonderful Christmas and a wonderful week after Christmas. Oh, good. But it was from the start of the year. So so 19 didn't start out too well for us. Yikes. I'm sorry to hear that. I um, Obviously, you guys were in my thoughts as I knew that was a really important trip for you and your family. And then when I would get a little um, feedback about how the challenges that you were facing, I was like, that's just not fun. Because winter travel is tough anyway. Oh, man. It's scary, too, in the mountains. Yeah. yeah. And... Um, yeah, so sorry to hear that. And listeners, we just want you to know that we're very grateful for your patience. Um, we've had a couple life circumstances that have kept Randy and I from recording recently. So between his coughing, we couldn't record <laughs> that week. And then I found out that uh, the house that CJ and I, my wife and I live in, is going to be put on the market. So I've been scrambling to figure out where we're going to move um, 
when that house goes on the market, because we're not sure we want to live through showings and open houses, and you know, so we're trying to figure out where else to go. But uh, our recording schedule has been affected by that, and now we're in the beginning of a new semester, and so we have all of that. Anyway, thank you for your patience, and uh, we're looking forward to putting out some episodes here in, in February. Yeah, and it, wasn't it P.T. Barnum who said the show must go? The on? The show must go on. Yeah. So we are back, and we're looking forward to. Talking about this. In fact, um, we wanted to mention for our Patreon supporters that um, we want to invite you to a March 2nd Zoom. So on Saturday morning at 9 a.m. Pacific time, we're going to be on the Zoom chat, and we would love if you were one of our supporters who we're so grateful for that you would come and talk with us. We'd love to have your voice and, and dialogue with us. And uh, we, we really look forward to those. We've had two of those in the past. We do them about every other month. And our next one is March 2nd. So if you want to be a part of that chat, become a Patreon supporter, and you will get an invitation to that March 2nd Zoom. Yeah, and, and our Patreon supporters have made some good suggestions as to what topics we should deal with on that day. So yeah. we're taking a good look at those. Yeah, we're, uh, we're talking about about uh, which of those to tackle because uh, one of the things I'm learning about our listenership is that they're they're a sharp crowd and they don't mind tackling big issues and so they gave us some assignments that are would take a little uh, getting ready for. There's not something you can just, I mean, unless you're you, you can now, just talk. Obviously, they don't know what they're asking, <laughs> who, who they're asking it from, but uh, we're going to take a look at them anyway. Yeah, we're, we're excited about that. <laughs> Do our best. Um, Randy, Native Americans were in the news a lot in well, January. You know, well, we, we had an um, indigenous uh, uh, day uh, in Washington, D.C., where there was mm-hmm. a protest that went on. Yeah, and uh, a, uh, a lot of indigenous people from around the country yeah. came out. Um, one of my friends, Mark Charles, um, actually gave a great stand-up speech in the middle of all of that. And it's a TED, uh, and, and I don't know where that's available, but he did a similar type TED talk. And so you can go under uh, We the People, which is the name of his TED Talk, and see Mark Charles. And I would recommend everyone go listen to that. I'll link to that in the show notes. Yeah, and if we can figure out how this this other thing where he stood up and gave us sort of a mini version of that is, that was kind of exciting because it's one of those things where you stand up on something and there's a whole bunch of people crowded around you. It looked really exciting. Oh, great. But at that uh, Indigenous People's Day in Washington, D.C., they weren't the only ones in Washington, D.C. that day. Obviously. (laughs) And so there was um, an incident, shall we call it. An Uh, incident. An incident. Okay. Where, uh, and I'm sure everyone has seen this because the video has gone viral, the pictures have gone, I mean, it's just everywhere. If you haven't seen it, you haven't been watching. Yes. So there were some uh, young Catholic high schoolers from Louisville, Kentucky, boys, uh, boys. In, in Make America Great hats. Again, never, never a great sign, <laughs> but uh, they were there for a, a life rally, a, a rally of pro-life. life, pro-life. Yeah. Uh, and they happened to be waiting for their bus, allegedly the story that gets told, and there was another group, a third group, that was the uh, Black Hebrews right. a, a group who is known to be quite contentious. They are sort of and the, confrontational. Yeah, the uh, 
there, I, I think of them much like the uh, what's the Baptist Church, uh, the, the Hillsboro Baptist, or what's it not called? Hillsboro, Westboro, Baptist. Westboro Baptist. Yeah, it's sort of like they they just they're not going to have a conversation with you. They right. they're just going right. to tell you what they think you need to know. Right. Total side note: When I I went to high school up in Saskatchewan, Canada, and my folks after high school moved to Nyack, New York. When I would go to visit my parents, so I'm like an 18, 19-year-old kid, we would go down to Manhattan to go to Times Square or whatever, and I, this group is there, and they, pre- they do street preaching. They mm-hmm. preach on the corner, and I had never seen anything like this. They were more animated, more uh, amped up, saying the most offensive things about white people. I'd never seen anything like that before. And I don't think they limited to white folks. No. Um, they, there was an encounter with Native Americans, and I saw the video from them. And, of course, um, uh, we don't like to be told, as Native people, where other people think we came from mm. or who we really are. Mm. You know, um, We've struggled enough through a... Uh, uh, colonial patterns of of um, uh, internalized racism and other things to to struggle with who we are. We don't need uh, people who are like you know doing this um, black Hebrew thing yeah. to say, oh, you you're going by the wrong name. That's not really who you are, and all this kind uh, of stuff. And I'm uh, like, man, I'm glad I ain't there because uh, I might have got uh, right in that guy's face. I, you know, I of, I did not know that they had that take on yeah it's like you know don't you know i think i think we've been here long enough to figure out who we are whoa so and 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 i had a a group of white messianic jews one time do the same thing not in this uh, violent uh kind of animated as way but um and and they sat down and they wanted to school me and richard twist and terry leblanc and some other native leaders about who we actually were and that we were one of the lost tribes of Israel. Uh-oh. So I, uh, I li- we listened to them very politely. And then I said, let me ask you something. How old is Israel? You know, how, how old? And they were like, oh, well, maybe no. 5,000 years old. And I said, oh, problem solved. They said, what are you talking about? And I said, you know, um, we've been on this land maybe forever, but at least uh, our Cherokee people have been on this land for 14,000 years or more. Um, so obviously Israel is one of the lost tribes of the Cherokee, and uh, they didn't appreciate that. I can only imagine. Wow. Yeah. Anytime people from another culture try to explain to you how you're wrong about your identity, I just don't, that's never going to go up. All right. So back to this incident. So then uh, a Native American elder. Yep sees what's going on and tries to come between these two groups as a peacemaker. And he's singing. And he's singing. And he has this drum. Mm-hmm. And he's singing um, the AIM song, American Indian Movement. Song. Okay. And this does not go well. So the young white kids um, are mocking and jeering and Tomahawk chop. Yeah, oh my gosh, yes. Jumping up and down. And yeah, so the video is bad, Mm -hmm. but there's this one freeze frame of him face to face with this young man, and it looks like the young man is smirking. Right. At him, and his his defenders would say that this is guilt by facial expression. Oh, I hadn't heard that. I had heard that he was trying to make the best out of an awkward situation, but I had not heard that. Yeah. So we're not going to relitigate 
that uh, encounter. But you and I are very interested in talking about why it went viral. What happened that so many people were so invested in this because it dominated the news cycle for days. Oh, yeah. I mean, I remember four days later, I was still watching it on local news, and they were talking about it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, like a week later, I actually went back and rewatched it in slow motion because they're all after hearing everybody's perspectives and arguments, I wanted to see like what am I missing? Mm-hmm. What are they seeing that I'm not seeing? And then everybody got to see the whole video. Yeah. So um, I'm uh, I'm interested in talking about what I would call a frozen historical moment in America's history, right there. I mean that is. A, what I would call a micro, micro microcosm, yeah, yeah. <laughs> a microcosm of how America uh, and sort of like you could trace the genealogical history between white folks and native folks through that moment. Okay, I am interested to hear that. Obviously. One of the reasons I'm here today is I really wanted to talk to you about this. I read the blog that you had put up, um, and we can talk about that in a minute. Right, but, we can link to that, right? That's, yeah, uh, yeah, put it in the show notes. Truth in the Mirror, White America's First Encounter with Indians on the Red Letter Christians blog site. Okay, so we will link to that in the show notes. But I just wanted you to know that one of the things that I am fascinated with is how that event, it, it functioned, right? There was something about it right. that it was, something was getting done in the, interp- the interpreting of that, the optics of that, the visuals of the video and that snapshot. And so people were talking about it as a political Rorschach test, that, that groups were seeing in it what they already believed. They were finding that in it. And so there's something is happening in uh, the interpretation of an event like that where people are bringing their, whether you call it baggage or their worldview or their um, woundedness or their whatever it is, and they are finding it in that picture. Right, and, and whatever side you were on, you found it necessary to litigate on Facebook or wherever it is sure. your belief and why it was what it was. And that litigation is it probably still going on, but it, it went on for at least a week or more. Sure. Why do you think, I don't know if this is where you want to start, why do you think, For I mean, because there's so many Clashes and events and incidents, right? Of, of that are racially charged. Right, absolutely. What was it about that thing that captured people's attention and pulled out of them the need to like weigh in on that their interpretation? Right. So I, I saw it coming down to to one of two reactions from white people. Okay. Okay. So let's talk about how white people felt about Great. It first. I saw people, mostly the people who I sort of hang with and know, were white sympathizers for the native elder, and they were disgusted. Yeah. Know, totally disgusted. Oh, yeah. like, in fact, when I first saw it for the first few times, I yeah. was like, why are they so disgusted? Like, yeah. what, what's going on here yeah. that they are so emphatic about yeah. you know, how terrible that guy yeah. is and how he needs to be taught a lesson? Yeah, and, you yeah. know, 
on and on and on. And yeah, name, there's name calling and oh, yeah, mo- so much. Yeah, and they were so passionate, and I'm like, what? Yeah, why? You yeah, know what? I mean, this is like in, in the scale of what happens to yeah. Native American people every day. This is very minor, right? Oh my! So, um, and then the other thing was that white defenders were so quick to place the blame on others. So, you know, they placed the blame on the uh, the native elder for coming in and, yep. you know. getting too close. Yeah, they placed the blame on the kid, of course. And then they placed the blame, and then everybody sort of loved to place the blame on the chaperones. The chaperones should have known better. They should have, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and who knows what's true about all of that kind of stuff. Yeah. But the idea is that we have to place the blame somewhere because we can't look in the mirror at ourselves and this relationship that's gone on for, you know, yeah. four or five hundred years yeah. and find fault. And if we see the progeny of, of, of our selves in this young people and how they acted, uh, we can't deal with that. So it's got to be somebody else's fault. In other words, I'm protecting the uh, white supremacist status quo. By and white normalcy and you know white privilege yeah. by blaming someone else other than the kids because those are our kids. That's my kid out there. If I'm white, that's my kid. That's the you know yeah. on one side or the other. And so um, this is the fruit huh. that has been born through the relationship and history of native people and white folks. So you feel like maybe uh, the some white folks over identified with the young people and that's what caused that level of vocal shame i think it was going on unconsciously okay that's what was going on um and that's why i called this you know america's first encounter with with indians because all of a sudden they saw this look this this um roar shock test if you will and deep inside i think they were seeing this is what the relationship has come to Oh my. Okay. Wow. Because I just want to say that I also saw white folks who were really upset and at the at the white kids and were very concerned about the disrespect that was showed to the native elder. So I also found that amazing the the volume level that they came in mm-hmm. with both criticism and then defense. And I thought, well, you know the phrase protesteth too much? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was like, whenever I, that situation comes up, I'm always thinking, oh, you might be too invested in this. Yeah. There's something, it's triggering something in you. Yeah, and so it was a trigger, and I think it was a trigger about an unspoken history oh. that, that, we're not, that as Native people we're not supposed to talk about. Oh. We're supposed to be the poor... Indians and the savages and the noble savage and all the rest, and but we're not supposed to remind white people that that is the place that white people have given us. So we have to remain in our place, stay in your station, stay in your lane. <laughs> <laughs> um, and and I think that was what was going on. I think a lot of uh, sort of more open-minded liberal people were like, you know. I can't face the horror, so I got to condemn them. And the others were, I can't face the horror, so I have to condemn everybody else. Huh? I can't. Con- I, the you know, I I have to condemn them on the yeah. one, and the others I have to blame somebody 
uh, other than the white kid. Wow. And what do you think? Um, I think that I'm just soaking in what you're saying, and it makes a lot of sense why it drew what seems to be, if I can be honest, a disproportionate amount of attention and response for one incident when we know that there are so many daily across this country and yeah, we've talked about missing and murdered indigenous women. Yeah, yeah. There are women who are being abducted, you know, constantly yeah. uh, from reservations. We talk about abuses. We, we, we had just come back from my wife's reservation. Uh-huh. And what we found there was not pleasant. It was uh, a, a lot of sort of like three generations of intergenerational trauma. We're actually four generations and the results of it. And the results are not pretty. Mm. Um, and so... I couldn't get over, like, why are people getting so upset about this at first? It's like, yeah. why are my white friends getting so upset yeah. about this? And that's when I began to realize um, that this is just reflective of where we are. Yeah. You know? and, 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 and it could be an, a, an educative moment. And it could yeah. be a moment where we actually start moving together toward a common truth. Um, but then you have a lot of folks who say, we don't want to hear that. Yeah. Right? So. Yeah. It was, it was quite a thing because, you know, in the age of the cell phone video, we are getting um, visuals on stuff that previously we heard about. Right. But, you know, and like unless you see it, sometimes it's hard to believe. And so whether that's with police brutality or, you know, different events we could, we could talk about. But this happened to be one of those ones that you sort of know stuff like this is out there. But when you see it, it, it is somewhere between sickening and baffling like what the heck is going on there and, and i think it's notable that it happened in washington dc yep. at our nation's capital the the symbol uh, where freedom and democracy all take place and then here's a look at ourselves in the mirror huh. and to find out that the very first peoples who were here um, were not treated well and this is where we are still yeah. 500 years later or however you want to look at the yeah. the history. I did want to ask you about one other wrinkle that I haven't heard really anybody else talk about. But the role of the, the peacemaker, mm-hmm. uh, to put yourself between uh, two parties in an attempt to um, calm the situation or to bring introduce a new element... Mm-hmm. Um, but it often leads to you becoming the target of mm-hmm. the criticism and concern. Mm-hmm. So because we have talked about peacemaking as a, a, a virtue um, uh, on this podcast before, I wanted to ask you, as somebody who promotes uh, peacemaking, uh, about that specific kind of prophetic moment of placing yourself in the gap between these two groups, knowing that you're going to become the subject of ire. Right. It's a very vulnerable thing. It's a daring and a dangerous thing to do. Right. Um, So I can't speak for other people, but I can tell you what elders have told me um, that my job is as a Ketua, um, is to help bring about balance and harmony where it's broken, to help restore relationships where they've been broken. Um, and so 
maybe because I can't speak for that elder, but I'm guessing because I think I've, I heard him say things similar that he was trying to put himself there as a peacemaker right? yeah. to uh, to sing that prayer. Yeah. Um, and of course, what he got was mockery, yeah. and uh, but it did break up the yeah. sort of thing that happened between them. Yeah, and uh, and I think I recall him saying that he was concerned that the mob of kids were going to yeah. get violent, right? Yeah, um, yeah. So so maybe the the parents of those kids should be thankful. And I, I know nothing about uh, the history of the black Hebrews in their. Uh, propensity toward violence or not. So I don't know if, if they believe in violence or don't believe in violence. Um, I'm not sure those uh, Catholic kids uh, understood uh, their, the, uh, um, the, you know, the, the details of a theology of nonviolence either. Yeah. So I don't think, um, I think it was an unsafe place to walk in the middle of. Yeah. And I think he had a lot of courage. And he did what he should have done as an elder. He stepped in to make peace in the middle of that discord. Yeah. And that's the job of elders, and that's the job of, of really all wow. human beings, if we think about it. So. Yeah. I mean, you have to be a person of real conviction to inject yourself in that environment, and you have to actually know that what you bring to that situation is powerful enough that it could actually change the tide of that encounter. So I'm, I'm just fascinated with the role of the peacemaker. And uh, unfortunately, in all of the hubaloo that followed, I didn't hear a lot of uh, thoughtful conversation about why in the world did he even think that that was a good thing to do and why did he think that it would work? Yeah. Yeah. Well, in a sense, it worked. Oh, yeah. Um, but... But it also brought out something that was there. Yeah. And it exposed an underlying uh, legacy of racism. Right. That um, in, in, when you think about it through that lens, there's a part of me that thinks maybe this was an appropriate response and it wasn't outsized and uh, disproportionate. Maybe this was exactly the kind of reaction we need to every incident like this. Mm-hmm. and that, To amplify it? Yeah, and that maybe it's not inappropriate when you really think about what's going on in that moment. Yeah, and, and remember, for Native Americans, we're not just talking about racism. So, so we don't line up with everybody else and say the problem in America is racism. The problem has also been genocide. Uh, the, you know, there's the land theft, there's the land destruction, which is an important uh, thing to most Native people, um, and uh, damage and destruction of the lands. And then there's the attempted genocide and the cultural genocide, the ethnocide. So it's even more complicated than just racism. And there's okay. a, a history there that just uh, Americans have up heretofore uh, refused to deal with. Mm. I appreciate you uh, mentioning that because to say a legacy of racism is to um, oversimplify or under uh, appreciate the layers of uh, cultural genocide. Yeah, and so um, the figures that just came out in the um, the report of the study that was done in England—have you seen that? Yes. With the, uh, that uh, 
<laughs> one of the headlines said, white people cause climate change by killing Native Americans. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so, but, but what they figured, they, they, to the best in uh, their science, they could figure out probably about 60 million um, Native Americans were as the population. I actually think um, that uh, Mann's book, uh, 1492, probably, is, or 1491 is more accurate, but um, and he says probably 110, 120 million. Whatever. Let's just say that 60 million were killed, you know, or 55 million or whatever, um, and that caused the climate change. So now that's basically circling around, and, and I wonder how much white folks are talking about that. Mm. I mean, uh, in you know, what what kind of a picture do we need mm-hmm. to view that? You know, mm-hmm. um, so obviously there's some some things that have not been dealt with in the yeah. past that need to be dealt with, and and like they say, if you don't deal with your past, then you know you're going to repeat yeah. it. So, listeners, we would be interested in any perspectives or resources that could help uh, flesh out uh, this conversation and actually lend uh, insight to it that maybe we haven't uh, represented. So we would be interested in hearing from you. And we actually want to say thank you as well for all of the comments and Facebook posts that we get. We have had an incredibly very few that have been inflammatory or trolling. (laughs) And so we uh, are appreciated very much. We appreciate uh, what you uh, post and comment and how you respond. And so we would be interested in furthering this conversation. I think part of that maybe that we, we make qualifications and we'll go ahead and just make it again that I don't speak for all Native Americans. And Bo, do you speak for all white people? In the, in the I haven't States? even met most white people, <laughs> so no. So uh, this is just us saying what we think. Yeah. Well... This is piecing it all together. We are looking forward to putting out some episodes in February to get the conversation jump-started again ahead of our March 2nd Zoom. So make sure to go to Patreon, piecing it all together. That's P-E-A-C. People, by the way, in my travels over the holidays, lots of people still asked me how you spell it because really? they're, they're having trouble finding it. Oh, my gosh. We were repeating that so often. All right. That's P-E-A-C-I-N-G. I know. I know. I know. <laughs> Apparently, when you are uh, being creative with uh, your words, you have to really, really over-communicate it. So for those of you who uh, have, have been clever enough to find this podcast, thank you for tuning in. And find that double entendre. Yes. So the word for today, we will uh, see you on the next episode. We look forward to your feedback. Make sure to check out the show notes for the Mark Charles and Randy's blog on the red letter Christians.